Well, thanks all for, thanks for that welcome. Thanks for welcoming me here. And uh, I'll bring you greetings uh, from the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Australia. We are sister denominations, so we have a bit to do with one another. Um, you probably know Andy McCracken is serving there now in the church. And we'll talk a little bit more about that and some prayer requests for um, the church there afterwards. Right now, we're going to look at God's Word, and I'd ask you to open to Deuteronomy chapter 24. We're going to read um, verses 14 to 22, 14 to 22. You can just keep your finger there, but because before we do that, I want to take a bit of a survey through God's Word. But when it comes to the poor, uh, people might say, uh, have a heart. What do they mean by that when they say, have a heart? Well, they might want you to feel the way they do about a certain cause or about a certain group of poor, poor people. But, and we might be tempted uh, to take our heart for the poor from the world. We might be tempted to take it from a political party on, on the right or the left, uh, or from the latest meme on social media, or by our favorite media personality. But as people of God, called by Christ's name, we must reflect His heart for the poor. That's what I want to look at today. What's God's heart for the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant? Like America, Australia is a rich country, but we often maybe can forget that there is poverty that's um, quite common. There's similar issues in Australia. One of them is uh, foster care. There's a lack of families to take, especially older children. And when they turn 18, they often end up out on the streets. In fact, in, in America, and similar in Australia, about 40% of those who are homeless uh, were in the foster care system without anywhere to go. What does God feel about the orphan? Well, we can think about James. Religion that, our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after or- orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In Isaiah, God says, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. From these passages, we we can start to get this picture of what God's heart is for the orphan. What about the sojourner? We're going to read about the sojourner or the immigrant. This covers a a broad range of people. Think of people who have to leave their home country because of violence or for poverty, and they have to run to another country. And I think we should include in this uh, those undocumented immigrants among us. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to not love them so much because they've illegally come to the country, but God has a heart for the immigrant. A little bit later, we're going to hear about refugees, refugees seeking asylum. So when we have our sharing time later on, Megan's going to particularly share about some refugees she's been working with from Afghanistan. And in America and in Australia, we have refugees, and they face many, many problems. Often they're treated as a number. They're not treated as a person. But how does God feel about refugees and sojourners? In Deuteronomy 10, he says, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Leviticus 19.34, The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. 
Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so we just took a little survey there. We started to see God's heart for the, the needy, the marginalized. And in our passage now, which we'll read, Deuteronomy 24, 14 to 22, we're going to unpack that further. Deuteronomy 24, 14 to 22. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your, uh, your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land or within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Thus far, the word of God. I want to unpack this passage in uh, two headings. Uh, verses 14 to 17, we're looking at how the God's people, that's us, are rescued for justice. And in the second half, verses 18 to 22, we'll look at how God's people are rescued for generosity. Rescued for justice, rescued for generosity. Now, Deuteronomy is a book, and you might be familiar with Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a book uh, that records three sermons given by Moses. So if you remember, God had led the people out of Egypt. They had failed to go in the promised land, and that whole generation died out in the wilderness. And now there's a new generation. So now Moses, toward the end of his life, is reiterating God's law a second time, but now to a new generation. He's preaching God's law to them, to this new generation. See, God wanted his people to be different to the nations around them. And here in chapter 24, there's lots of laws that show how they were to be different to those nations around them. So if we think about being rescued for justice, there's, there's a couple aspects we want to look at here. In 14 to 16, it's being rescued to stand against oppression. Rescue, rescued to stand against oppression. And this is oppression against the poor worker, and this is oppression of perversion of justice. In those days, uh, poor workers would easily be taken advantage of. And refugees and sojourners, they'd be especially vulnerable to mistreatment. If we think about in our day, it's actually not too much better. Um, and as recently in 2012, I was reading an article just recently, as recently as 2012, a major fast food company in America was convicted of underpaying some Latin American 
uh, migrant workers to the tune of $213,000. Today in America, and this is similar in Australia, those who are born into poverty uh, are more likely to stay in poverty, and the cycle continues. We also see distribution centers that don't provide safe working for their workers, especially the working poor, people treated as machines. The wages are low for them. And if the workers complain, often they could be fired at the drop of a hat. And internationally also, we see sweatshops where the very young are put to work and not able to go to school because of their, they're forced to do that. We actually, um, in our church and through a, a, a group called the Barnabas Fund, have been supporting families in Pakistan so that they can get out of from underneath the burden of debt because often their children have to work, can't go to school because of these debts that they have and they owe to the, to the Muslim um, overlords there. God is telling his people here that they have been rescued to stand against that sort of oppression. Oppression for the poor worker. And also not to pervert justice. In verse 16, it seems a little out of place, verse 16. Don't punish the fathers for the children or the children for the fathers. But if we think about it and take a closer look, who would be the most vulnerable to this sort of revenge killing? It was actually quite, quite common. Um, you can just think about the story uh, of Jacob and Shechem and his sons took revenge on the whole city uh, for the sin that was perpetuated on Dinah. But this is not how God's people were to be. Justice was to be served and not perverted. And the poor could be vulnerable to this sort of killing because uh, the rich would have resources and servants and people could defend them, but the poor wouldn't stand up chance. Well, what about today? We can think about the poor in our court system, and this happens in Australia as well, where the poor are much, much more likely to be convicted, wrongfully convicted of a crime they didn't commit because they don't have the resources to defend themselves. And in verse 15, God gives a warning to us. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, lest he cry against you to the Lord, and you be guilty of sin. Often in the scriptures we see this. God listens to the poor. The poor have God's ears, and God hears their cries. You think about James 5.4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And so we see God cares for the working poor, and he, they, he, he, uh, they have his ear to listen to their cries. So we've seen how we've been rescued for justice to stand against oppression. Uh, don't oppress the poor worker. Don't pervert justice, but also we want us to look at how we've been rescued to give up our rights. Rescued rescue to give up rights that we might otherwise be able to take up. In verse 17, it says, Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Now, widows in those days were a special group of vulnerable people. And God shows his love for them too here. So this command has to do with a pledge. A poor widow or any other poor person might have to take a loan, and as a pledge, they would give something valuable, and often it would have to, the most valuable thing would be their, their overcoat, their cloak. And without it, they might even freeze to death, depending on their circumstances. And so it's very valuable to a poor widow to keep her warm, to survive. 
Now, by rights, a lender could demand that she give up a cloak as a pledge when he has to give her a loan or when she comes for a loan. But God's people weren't to be like that. They must be willing to give up rights, their rights, for the benefit of the poor. Well, what about today? Let's think about today. Well, we can see predatory lending and predatory renting practices. I know in Australia we've got a land shortage, so there's a demand for housing. I think it's becoming more and more that case here as well. And so you can see landlords who um, basically have a dump that they're renting out to someone for an exorbitant price, and they, if someone complains, then they're out on the street. And we can think about predatory loans, which sometimes require people to pay up to 400% on their loan over a year. So are these people breaking the law? No, they're not breaking a law necessarily. Well, they might be, but they, they can provide uh, these payday loans, say. But God wants his people to give up their rights when it comes to caring the poor. That doesn't mean letting people walk all over us, but it does mean giving up what we could legally demand so that we can instead care for the poor. So the first section is about being rescued for justice. I want to now look at the next section of being rescued for generosity. This is verses 14, uh, sorry, it's 19 to 21. Rescued for generosity. If you have a look at verse uh, 19 and 21, you'll notice that there are two nearly identical commands that sandwich everything in between them at the start and end of this section. That is, remember you were slaves in Egypt. And uh, I'll have a look at that command to remember in just a little bit, but what this is, this is, a, this is highlighting what's in between. It's like in bold. It's the point. Moses is getting to the point in between these two commands. And what is the point? It's radical generosity. And he gives three examples. This is repeated three times, but different, different scenarios. The wheat or the barley field, the olive tree, don't go over the olive trees uh, again, and the vineyard. And this list of three is obeyed to say everything, right? All of your farming and produce. You're not to do, go over it a second time, but to leave it for the poor. Uh, this is so they could work, right? The poor could work to feed themselves. Some scholars estimated uh, that an Israelite might have to set aside up to 30% of their income, both for this sort of uh, gleaning laws. Not only would they have to leave behind what was dropped, but they weren't to mow the edges as well, mow the edges of their fields and leave those for the poor as well. Then they were supposed to also support the Levites. Right? The Levites were God's uh, tribe that was to minister in the temple. And they were also to give gifts to the poor. And these gleaning laws might be familiar to you, right? You might know the story of Ruth and Boaz, right? That's a great story. Boaz is an example of following this principle. Actually, it goes above and beyond. It goes above and beyond. Not only does he say to the workers, leave behind. They don't go over it a second time, leave behind the barley. He says, pick out some that you've picked and leave them behind for, for Ruth to pick. He takes extra care to go above and beyond to bless Ruth. He's radically generous, radically generous because he had compassion on Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And God wants us to be radically generous as well, generous to the poor, the orphans, and immigrants. But why? And now we get to this, these commands. Why be generous like this? The, re- the reasons 
is to remember who you were. So remember who God's people had been. They had been refugees, so to speak, in Egypt. Worse than that, though, they were slaves, oppressed. And God had led them out of Egypt with His mighty acts. But what about us? We also need to be rescued for generosity. What are we rescued from? Right, we're not slaves like the, the Israelites had been. Well, without God's salvation, we are dead in our trespasses. You know this. Without God's salvation, we remain as slaves, disobedient and rebellious against God. But with God's salvation, we are able to hear God's commands and live them out. Now, what is God's salvation? I think it's been summarized well by a theologian who said, Salvation is an act of God in which we are rescued from the consequences of our sin and put in a position to live in free, open, loving relationships with God and our neighbors. Rescued out of sin and put into position to live in free and open relationships with God and our neighbors. Now, if you're unfamiliar with sin, of course, sin is doing those things that God says you're not supposed to do, and also not doing those things that God says you're supposed to do. So why should we have a heart for the poor, God's heart for the poor and the needy? Why should we stand against oppression? Why should we be willing to give up our rights uh, for the uh, good of others? Because we need to remember who we were. We were slaves to sin. And how were we rescued? Jesus came. Jesus came as a heavenly refugee. He was oppressed for our transgressions. He was unjustly accused. He left heaven, lost everything that might have been brought him love and warmth and comfort. And why? Because of love. Jesus was radically generous to give us himself. And he offers a true and better rescue for us. Better than that rescue from Exodus uh, out of Egypt. He rescues us from a slavery to sin. In Romans uh, 6, 17 to 18, it says... But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to what? To righteousness. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is a better rescue. And that's the offer of the gospel to each one. Turn from your sin, put your faith in the Lord Jesus, and he will set you free. And he sets you free to do what? We rescued for a purpose. To love the poor and needy, as we have seen here. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared generous justice for you to do. But where do we start? Well, we can start by showing generous justice to our family, like our church community, our local community, and our own families. It can look like going out of our way way just to care for one another, especially when people are going through hard times. Giving up our rights to benefit one another. Helping things with life things, like moving house or cleaning up. Could be helping a struggling family with a gift. Or taking a meal around. 
can also mean that it's right for a Christian to be concerned about whether child slavery or sweatshops or unsafe working conditions have been used to make some of our stuff. It's right for us to be concerned about that. Most of us can do things like this, but sometimes God calls us to do even more. He gives us more specifics. Some people are called to be a volunteer. They have opportunities to volunteer to work with refugees. Or it could even be your job to defend them. You might be able to help with English as a second language classes. I think that's going on here as well. And some have been blessed with resources to fight injustice. Uh, And Job is a great example of this. And listen to how Job used his wealth and resources to practice generous justice for the poor and needy. Here's what he says. Because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them, the one who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the cause of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. The issues that we see that are facing the orphans, uh, widows, refugees, immigrants around us, they are complex. They're huge issues. But the good news is that Jesus gives us his heart for the poor. Quoting uh, Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 8 says, After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Those days are these days. Those days are these days. This is now. God has rescued us from slavery so that while we can live with a new heart and so that we can be people of justice and generosity. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your um, word from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, which uh, challenges us in many ways, shows us your heart for those who are needy and poor, and society often overlooks those people. Father, we pray that you'd help us to be a covenant community who lives out Uh, your laws in a way that shines light, but also with wisdom, Father. We pray that we would be preaching the good news uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ as the ultimate rescue, better than rescue from poverty, better than rescue from slavery. And Father, I pray that you would help us uh, to grow as a covenant community together to do this and build one another up as we do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.